Well, many of us have had turning points in our lives when something occurred that changed our future. And because of the turning point, we took a different course in life, and that has made a dramatic difference in our lives. Such a thing happened to me when I was just about 15 years of age, and it had to do with the omnipresence of God. I began to become aware of God's omnipresence like I had never been before, and it literally changed my life. Um, I've shared with you that I had misbehaved in church, and I felt compelled to go to my pastor and apologize. It was possibly the hardest thing I had ever done in my life up until that time. And what my pastor said to me crystallized what God had been teaching me about himself. My pastor said these words to me, it is not important that I saw what you did. What's important is that you know that God saw it. And that is possibly the most important thing that had ever been said to me in my young life up until then. No one had ever told me like that, that God was present everywhere I was and saw everything that I did. And that awareness that God is everywhere changed me. I have never been the same since. When I began to live with an awareness that I was living in the presence of God, I want to tell you this morning, I became a different person. Now, today we are continuing our series entitled, Knowing God from Psalm 139. And today we come to the second great attribute of God in this psalm, God's omnipresence. And I want to say to all of us this morning, this is filled with practical implications. If this can change a 15-year-old, think of what it can do for you. Today, as we come to these verses, verses 7 to 12, that I'm about to read, I want you to listen to what one Bible teacher has said. Never has a human pen more effectively described the omnipresence of God. Think about that. As we come to these six verses, we are reading perhaps the greatest description of the omnipresence of God there is. And I hope you will take your Bibles this morning so your eyes can see these very words as I read them for us. Let's look at verses 7 to 12 and notice what David, the inspired psalmist, writes. He says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Now David, in this portion of Psalm 139, probably the most famous verses in this psalm, gives us three factors about the omnipresence of God. And he begins with the what factor. What is God's omnipresence? And the answer is found in verse 7. 
Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? Now these are known as rhetorical questions. And rhetorical questions are never asked to seek an answer, but to tell us the answer is obvious, and you know the answer. It's nowhere, right? It's nowhere. Nowhere can we go that God is not present. God is everywhere. But the interesting thing is the way that David frames these two questions gives us some very important insights about God's omnipresence. Uh, The first insight. God can be everywhere at once because he is a spirit and has no body. God can be everywhere at once because he is a spirit and he has no body. Now, uh, when I was a child, it seemed like my mother was everywhere because I could not get away with anything. And I was always aware I better be careful because you never know when mother is going to show up. But that was through the eyes of a child, clearly. But because God is a spirit, he has a very amazing property. It's the property of immensity. Do you know what immensity is? Immensity means God transcends all measurements. And because he does, he can be everywhere at once. The second insight David gives to us is this. God is everywhere in his fullness and completeness. Wherever God is, he is there in his fullness and completeness. Notice in verse 7, David is conscious that wherever he is, he is in the full presence of the personal God. God has no parts, the Bible teaches us. We call this the attributes of of God's simplicity. God is a simple being in the sense that he has no parts, and as a pure spirit, God cannot be divided. So we must never think of a part of God here, a part of God there, a part of God over there. Wherever God is, he is in his completeness and fullness. And then the final insight that David gives to us is that God is everywhere present in sovereign control. He is everywhere present in sovereign control. If your translation is like mine, the word spirit here is capitalized. So David is referring to the Holy Spirit. And in the Bible, the Holy Spirit emphasizes God's dynamic presence. Whenever you come upon the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, it is always God (coughs) exerting his power. Don't we see that in the opening chapter of the Bible? Right before the creation takes place, here's the Spirit of God hovering over the deep, and then suddenly God speaks, and things begin to happen. And so the Holy Spirit emphasizes God exerting his power. You know what that means? Wherever God is present, God is in control. That's what that means. It may seem like others are in control. Others may act like they are in control. But wherever God is present, he is always in control. Now I think you can see with me this morning that this has huge practical implications for our lives. 
And we'll look at those in just a moment. But I want to remind us of this. David is not just interested in us this morning saying, okay, I understand the omnipresence of God. I've got it down. The attributes of God are never just to impress us. They are to impact us. They are to change our very lives. And so David goes deeper in this psalm and he brings us to the wow factor so that we might respond to God in a deep way. Say, what is worship? Isn't worship awe? Isn't it the awe of God? And aren't we here this morning because we want to be wowed by the God we believe in? And David understands that. And so he goes deeper into the omnipresence of God to give to us the wow factor. Now, brothers and sisters, there are three dimensions that are most limiting for humans. Space, time, and the absence of light. We are all limited by those dimensions. But what David tells us is God's omnipresence overcomes all three dimensions. Let's look at them for just a moment this morning, all right? Number one, God's omnipresence overcomes space. His omnipresence overcomes space. Look at verse 8. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Now in the Old Testament, heaven and Sheol were the farthest places apart in the mind of an Old Testament believer. This then is another figure of speech where you have two opposites that include everything in between. Now, Sheol, as we read in the Bible and come across that word, refers to three things. The depths of the earth, the place of the dead, and hell, the place of the damned. And all three are bound up in this word Sheol when David says, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Now let me just stop here for for a moment this morning. We all expect God is in heaven, right? But how many of us expected we would read God is also in hell. Is that not a shocking truth for us today? And you say to me, Pastor, what's the difference between God in heaven and God in hell? And I think this is the difference. God in heaven is there in His grace and mercy, but God in hell is there in His justice and punishment. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 25, 41? He said, someday he will say to non-believers, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. 
Who is the one who prepared hell and therefore is the one who controls hell? It is obviously God. One pastor has said this, the thing that makes hell so terrible is that it is run by God. It is run by God. And when a person is there in that place, because God is present in every place, controlling every place, there will be no escape. So when somebody jokes about hell and says, well, at least in hell I'll be able to drink and play cards with my buddies, they are only fooling themselves. They are only fooling themselves. God is in every place. If we do not meet him someday in heaven, we will meet him someday in judgment in hell. God's omnipresence overcomes every space. Well, now notice that David in verse 9 moves on to the time dimension. And he says that God's omnipresence overcomes time. It overcomes time. Look at verse 9. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Now the wings of the morning here are reference to the rays of the morning sun. And this again is a figure of speech compared to a large bird spreading its wings and soaring over the countryside. Uh, this morning I saw a seagull just fluttering in the air, just taking his time. But you should have seen the seagull I saw on Friday in the rainstorm. Man, was he soaring from one place to the other. Now, the uttermost parts of the sea here is a reference to the Mediterranean Sea, known as the end of the earth in that day. So what is David saying? He's saying, if I could travel as fast as the speed of light from east to west, when I got there, God would be there. God would be there. It's probably been a little while for most of us since we've been in science class and we're reminded how fast the speed of light is. Let me share with you how fast it is. Here's a little science review this morning. The speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. The sun is 95 and a half million miles from Earth. The sun rays that we see in the morning, traveling 186,000 miles per second, arrive from the sun in 8 minutes, 12 seconds. If I wanted to bring it down to a, a little more, maybe even dramatic, understanding for us. If you were to travel from New York to Los Angeles at the speed of light, you would arrive in 0 0.13 seconds. That is less than two one-hundredths of a second. I did not say less than two seconds. 
I said less than two one-hundredths of a second. And if you were to travel that fast from New York to Los Angeles, guess who would be there when you got there? God would be there. Now, I want to stop here for just a moment and say David lived in a pre-scientific age, right? The, the speed of light had not been measured. When I look up and see the sunrise in the morning, you know what it looks like to me? It looks like the light gradually in the dawn comes about. So how did David know that the sun rays are traveling at such a rate that it is the fastest means of travel possible. How did he know that? I can't tell that by looking at the dawn. How in the world did he know? Doesn't that tell us? God is the author of this book, right? God is the author of this book. Now, the Bible is not a science textbook, that it's not its purpose. But whenever the Bible speaks scientifically, it is accurate. It is accurate. So that when the father of modern physics, Albert Einstein, said, nothing can travel faster than light in a vacuum, were Albert Einstein to come and read verse 9, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, he would say, this is scientifically correct. The fastest travel that can take place is at the speed of light. I want to say to us this morning, not only do we have an amazing God, but how many think we have an amazing book that tells us about that God? Absolutely. Now the third dimension that limits us, but that is not a limit for God's omnipresence, is God's omnipresence overcomes the absence of light. The absence of light. Look at verse 10 in your Bibles. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, <clears throat> and the light about me shall be as night. Now notice here the third dimension that limits us as humans is the absence of light. Why do people do wrong at night? It's because they believe in the absence of light, they will go undetected. The looters who murdered Officer David Dorn in St. Louis, they did it at night. And the reason they did it at night is they thought they could escape being seen. And had it not been for the cameras, they might have escaped. But God needs no cameras, does he? God is not limited by the absence of light. Now I want you to look with me very carefully at verse 12, and I want you to notice three human impossibilities Three human impossibilities. Notice the first one. Darkness is not dark. How many of you have ever been in a place in your life where darkness is not dark? How many of you have ever been in a home where you said, you know what, we don't need any lights in this house because darkness is not dark? 
That's an impossibility. Look at the next one. The night is as bright as the day. How many of us have ever been in a place where we said to ourselves, the night is as bright as the daylight? Even in the northern hemisphere, when the sun shines longer and the days are longer, we don't call that night. We simply say the days are longer. And then look at the last one. Darkness is as light with you. How many of us have ever been in a place where we said to ourselves, the darkness and the light are exactly the same. Do you see what David is saying? These three human impossibilities with the absence of light are overcome by God's omnipresence. So that think of this, every dimension that limits us, space, time, the absence of light is completely blown away by God. Brothers and sisters, this is the wow factor. The wow factor. And this is why we come and we sing, How great thou art! How great thou art! We are in awe of a God like this. But now David knows God's attributes are never given just to impress. They're given to change us. And here's what I began to learn as a 15-year-old teenager when I began to realize God is present in every place. Number one, for non-believers. For non-believers. God's judgment is sure. God's judgment is sure. The prophet Amos in chapter 9, verses 2 to 4, and I will not turn there this morning, uses this same truth of God's omnipresence to say that God's judgment is sure. If God is in control of hell, we can be sure his judgment is inescapable. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28. He said, do not fear the one who only can kill your body. Don't fear that person. But fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That's the one we are to fear. And if we do not surrender to God's grace in Christ, someday we will surrender to his judgment in hell. If God is in every place, if God is the creator of hell, if he is in control, then for the non-believer, his judgment is sure. If you are not sure where you stand with the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, I beg of you, I beg of you, come to him now. Come to him now. But then I want you to notice that David also gives to us an application for believers. And what a difference this is for believers. Oh, what a difference. 
He tells us that as a believer, we are never friendless. We are never, ever friendless. Look back at verse 7. When David says, Lord, I'm always in your presence, that is literally your face, your face. It is another anthropomorphism in which God is being described in human terms. God's omnipresence for believers is a friendly face. How many want to say, praise God this morning? It's a friendly face. You see, we're in awe of God, but we're not afraid of Him. We're not afraid of Him as a believer because He makes His face to shine upon us. What is the great blessing in the Old Testament? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. We are never friendless as a believer in Christ because his face is always shining upon us. What a joy that is. What a joy. And then number two. We are never powerless. We are never powerless. Are you like me and sometimes you feel weak? Sometimes things are beyond your control. Sometimes you feel, I'm not adequate for the challenges of my life. Feel that way no more. Look at verse 10. Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Do you know what the right hand denotes in the Bible? The highest power and the most divine authority. But did you notice in verse 10, the right hand is the second hand? The second hand is the right hand? So then what must be the first hand? If the second hand is the right hand of a power and authority, when he says in the first part of verse 10, even there your hand shall lead me, what must be the first hand? Isn't that the left hand? Right? I ask you a question, how many hands are upon us? How many hands are upon us? Not one, but two. Not one, but two. The right hand holds us in power. And the left hand guides us in safety. Two hands are upon the believer. I'm limited by space. I'm limited by time. I'm limited by the absence of light. But the one who holds me in two hands is not. Is not. How secure we are. How secure we are. And how we should trust the one who holds me with his right hand and guides me with his left hand. Listen again this morning to Dr. Packer. Listen very carefully again to Dr. Packer. One thing is clear. He is present everywhere in the fullness of all that he is and all the powers he has. And needy souls praying to him anywhere in the world receive the same fullness of his undivided attention. 
Because God is omnipresent, He is able to give His entire attention to millions of individuals at the same time. What a God. What a God. And do not forget this. Amongst those millions, you are an individual to God. And you are never friendless. You are never powerless. What a God. What a God. Let's bow together, shall we? Father, as we sang about you, we were compelled to bow in adoration and worship of you. And we do the same now. What we read from Matt Redman is true. You are the incomparable, inexhaustible God who has revealed himself in his attribute of omnipresence. And there's a wow factor here. There's an awe here. There is something that compels us to bow our heads, to close our eyes, and worship, and praise, and adore. And Father, because these things are true, our only refuge is found in Jesus Christ and his mercy and grace. And I pray today, anyone in the sound of my voice, whether here in our auditorium or watching by live stream, that if they don't know Jesus as personal Lord and Savior, that all that you know about them, every place that they are at, there you are. That there are only two destinies, heaven in hell. And I pray that they would come to the cross of Jesus Christ and in repentance and faith find the wonderful mercy of God. And then, Father, for those of us who are believers, help us to rejoice today. We're never friendless. There are times all of us have felt alone. We have wondered, does anyone care? And the great God who has saved us is shining with his face upon us. When our circumstances look bleak and are frowning at us, the great God is shining his face upon us. And then we are never powerless.
There are so many times we feel as though others have the power or they act like they have the power. But Father, we know wherever you are, you are in control. And therefore, in spite of the waves and the wind around us, there can be peace in our souls because you, the great God, are with us and you control all around us. How we love you today. You have your right hand upon us to hold us that we might never slip away from you. You have your left hand on us to guide us that we might make it safely through this life to the other shore where someday we will see our Savior in all his glory. And so today, with grateful hearts, we thank you for the God that you are. Bless us now as we sing and worship the God we believe in. For Jesus' sake, amen.